0: Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you, and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 58. Hello, my beautiful friends, and if you're new here, welcome. I'm Avanti, and this is the Healing Catalyst podcast. I'm so honored you're spending part of your day here with me. So let's continue diving into our intention of mindset as medicine and explore the social justice mindset with my incredible guest, Anusha Vijayakumar. Anusha is the wellness consultant for Hoag Hospital in Orange County, California, where she leads on integrative medicine and implementing mindfulness and meditation practices for maternal mental health programs, breast and ovarian cancer prevention programs, and breast cancer survivorship programs. Her meditation program at Hoag Hospital is one of the first of its kind to be used in clinical research. Anusha is also the author of Meditation with Intention and is also a sought-after speaker by Fortune 500 companies on the science of mindfulness, meditation, and social justice. In addition, she's an adjunct professor at San Diego State University on the intersection of wellness and social justice a contributing editor at Yoga Journal, a faculty member with Off the Mat, and a community partner with the Yoga and Body Image Coalition. In our conversation, Anusha dives into what the social justice mindset is and how it's connected to yoga philosophy. It's really fascinating. We also discuss why the decolonization of yoga and wellness must be at the forefront of the conversation and how we can help move the conversation from talk to action. Anusha also explains why social justice requires both action and self-reflection or swadhyaya and how the social justice mindset is medicine, not only for the community, but also for the individual. Anusha is a dynamic speaker who is so thoughtful and incredibly knowledgeable. I came away with so many aha moments. I'm sure you'll hear them on the episode. I greatly admire Anusha and the work she's doing to amplify South Asian voices in yoga and Ayurveda and to restore these philosophies and systems of healing to the roots of our ancestors. I'm so incredibly honored to share with you my beautiful conversation with Anusha Vijayakumar about the social justice mindset as medicine. Anusha, it is so lovely to finally meet you. I have been following your work. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I have a list of questions here, but thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much, Avanthi. I'm so excited, and as we were just saying earlier, always excited to speak to a fellow South Asian woman and one who is in medicine and STEM as well. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure, my honor, actually. So I am so curious, you know, you have been doing so many different things in the medical system out in California. And specifically, you know, I read that you are an adjunct professor at San Diego State University on the intersection of wellness and social justice. So I'm really curious, first of all, how did you get into wellness? And then how did you come to social justice? So let's start there. You can kind of tell us anything you want, but I'm so curious, like how did that happen?
1: So just to kind of answer, I guess, the wellness perspective, you know, what I share is part of my indigenous philosophy, ancestral wisdom and ancestral practices that I was born and raised in. And to me, it's always important in the work that I do to teach that aspect of decolonization because my ancestors, Sri Lankan Tamils, resisted you know 443 years of brutal Western imperialism, colonization, proselytization to hold on to our indigenous language uh, you know, philosophy, our culture, our customs, our wisdom, our traditions. And so the work that I do is definitely, I feel, uh, you know, part of my dharma in this life, that path of, of right conduct that we all have. But it's definitely an ode to my ancestors uh, in terms of, you know, really tapping into their strength their wisdom, their resilience. And I know that for many South Asians, because of our long history of colonization, these were things that were robbed from us. And so I feel even more blessed, you know, the more South Asians I meet, where they're just like, oh, I wasn't, you know, raised in that or that wasn't something that was important and now I wish it was. I feel even more grateful, Avanti, that my family resisted and I was able to be immersed in these practices uh, since I was a small child. And then that kind of, to go to your second question about the impact of, of social justice, honestly, that's a, a testament to my mother. You know, I remember mm-hmm. being uh, like a 12 and she would make us like go volunteer with her, specifically around people with that had physical disabilities. And trust me, when you're 12, I don't want to be necessarily shopping right. for the blind, you know, doing their grocery shopping and right. carrying up groceries and unpacking it. And that's something that we had to do. Even I remember as an even younger child, my mother talking about like health inequities and disparities specifically in the Indian subcontinent. And so when I had an allowance, it was like, well, why don't you think about giving a portion of your allowance to sponsor somebody your age in India and and to develop a relationship with that girl. And it was a girl. So there's so much that I feel makes up the fabric of my life that is a testament to her. And then I myself began my work, in social justice over 20 years ago in London, when I started actually volunteering with the South London Tamil Welfare Group, working specifically with Tamil refugees and asylum seekers that were fleeing genocide and ethnic cleansing at the hands of the singular Buddhist majority in Sri Lanka. And this is a civil war that you know people didn't care about, people weren't covering in the West. And to do that work with my people, after we'd already suffered so much persecution, uh, really gave me this awakening that I needed to continue doing this on a, on a grander and broader scale. And then, um, you know, I've, I've worked in many different areas. Most of my work has been in the non-for-profit sector, but it was actually, I write about this in my book, it was in 2015 that I kind of had the awakening in America that I had to leave my corporate job and just do this full time.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing. And so there's this history of social justice and activism from a young age is really what I'm hearing. And even the wellness piece, which, you know, I really resonate with because that was sort of my experience as well. So you, you moved to the United States and you were in the corporate sector, but then you went into the nonprofit sector. So tell us a little bit about that. And then how did you arrive at sort of this very specific focus now on yoga and social justice within and using yoga, but also within the yoga wellness community in the United States.
1: So I pretty much was over the weather in London. I just Mm -hmm. couldn't deal with it anymore. (laughs) So 12 years ago, I was like, right, I'm out of here. And so you went to California. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, it's not good for my doshas. I was, you know, the winter, I was just miserable. I'm always cold as well. So just London just wasn't working anymore. So I came to America working in the corporate sector, had a couple of corporate jobs. And then even though the bulk of my experience was in the not-for-profit sector in the UK, I actually left all of that and set up my own wellness business in 2015 now. so And again, that was really, I felt divinely guided to do so and i share a lot more about you know my personal journey with my own practice and what led me on this path in meditation with intention but it was absolutely divinely led and then i began my work at hoke hospital as a wellness consultant leading on integrative medicine and meditation and mindfulness and working with our women's health institute and our neurosciences institute and that role has just grown over the years uh, which has been really exciting to see and then I'm, you know, certified yoga teacher, meditation practitioner, and so for me though, yoga makes up the fabric of my life, and I think this is part of the one of the, the the greatest things that we have to decolonize in the West is people perceiving yoga as asana. Asana is just but one aspect of Sage Patanjali's Eight Limb Path, and if we really want to talk about yoga, yoga was first mentioned in the Katha Upanishad. It's it's far more ancient than even sage Patanjali's yoga sutras. And yoga is mentioned in multiple Vedic Hindu scriptures. That's also d- disconnected in the West. Second of all, as you and I both are very aware of in yoga and Ayurveda, South Asian voices are consistently marginalized and left out of the conversation. And so that kind of fuels my work even more, but ultimately yoga for me, and I just put it very simply, you know, the philosophy of yoga specifically is a path of individual liberation, but in the time that we are in, my liberation is connected to your liberation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have to have in this time of deep, 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 deep global suffering, suffering even in the U S alone, have this focus on collective care and collective liberation because all of our liberation is interconnected and it's also intersectional.
0: Okay, that's, I mean, there's so much there. And I agree with everything that you said. It, it's beautiful the way that you said it. Let's back up for a second and let's talk about, you know what exactly would you say is a social justice mindset from your perspective, right? You've spoken about how it is part of what the yoga philosophy is, is that my liberation is connected to your liberation which is social justice. But what what would you say a social justice mindset is?
1: Again, I'm just going to give you, try to give as simplistic answers as possible. To me, the underpinning of social justice in the time, the context of what we are in, the most important thing that any of us can do is commit to unlearning and relearning and commit to a practice of decolonization. Because everything that we have been taught in the education system, I was born and raised in the West, is very whitewashed and actually factually incorrect. We were never taught the truth about British colonization, Western imperialism. Uh, we were never taught the truth about enslavement. We weren't taught the truth about history, unfortunately, because we weren't writing the history books. And so I think for all of us, this commitment uh, when it comes to social justice and decolonization is being willing to unlearn and relearn and understanding that in order to do so, we have to tackle the often not, you know, wanting to be talked about issues such as white supremacy, such as racism, such as health inequities, uh, which all ultimately lead back to white supremacy and racism. So how are we dismantling these systems of oppression that have been established to specifically oppress black indigenous and communities of color.
0: Mm-hmm. And so and this is gonna be a really big question. So where do we start with that? And we can talk about it at two different levels, You know, sort of a more global level from a community standpoint and what needs to happen in a larger sense. But then let's bring it back to the individual too and what we should be doing or thinking about as we live our individual lives and and how we can have this mindset and what does it do for our health? So let's start with the global picture, the the larger community picture. Yes. Bringing these issues up to the forefront of the conversation is so important. That's the first step, but now what, right? Because I feel that in the past two years, (laughs) a lot of these issues have been bubbling to the surface and have been overflowing and here we are in the same place it feels like of where we were two years ago. And so how do we
1: move this further from
0: your perspective?
1: Great point. Let's be honest. So much of what happened in 2020 was performative, right? It was tokenistic and that, 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 and it was people doing the black square or doing the hashtag or doing whatever was trending at the time. But really, if we have a deep commitment to social justice and decolonization and anti-racism, this is an everyday practice which is the practice of yoga. And that's the point. So most people, to your point, don't have a deep commitment, just want to do the headline, right? Oh gosh, this has happened. You know, George Floyd was murdered. The black lives matter movement erupted. We had our election. We have the KKK marching. We had white supremacy on steroids around the country, very much so in orange County. And so people felt the dominant culture specifically felt, well, I need to do something. So let me really not do anything, but pretend that I'm doing something. And then suddenly fast forward two years, they've just gone back to doing nothing. I will say this. It's not easy, right. To dismantle systems of oppression that have been oppressing communities of color and specifically black and indigenous people in America for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, but we have to keep going. And, you know, I have a lot to say on this because to me, in many ways, this over-focus on the self in wellness and well-being is actually quite contradictory to the philosophy of yoga and, and what the underpinnings of the philosophy are. By all means, we have to take care of ourselves. You and I know this, right? We spoke about this earlier. but. We can become narcissistic in overly focusing on our own well-being, our own mental health. And and let's just, you know, categorize here. For people that are facing houselessness, they don't have time, let's be honest, to worry about the liberation of others because they're struggling. For folks that can't put food on the table for their families, they don't have time, right? They're focusing on their own immediate needs. Let's remove them from the conversation. Also disproportionately BIPOC communities. Let's talk about the mainstay of wellness, who, let's be honest, aren't those people. And I feel there's a hyper-focus now on rest and you and you and rest. Rest is vital, absolutely. Of course, we should be doing the practice ourselves, because if we're not doing the practice ourselves, we're inauthentic. We're going to be doing the hashtag and the black square and whatever else, right? Because we're not really practicing yoga as a philosophy, because we don't understand it as a philosophy. And I want to share this quote, actually, which moved me to tears. I've been very fortunate to study under the monastic, the Vedanta Society, Sri Ramakrishna's Monastery in Tribuco Canyon since 2015. And I went to a lecture there about three weeks ago, and Swami Sarvadevananda, whose Indian, Indian monastic was giving a uh, lecture. And he said many, 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 many things that really stood out to me, but he said this, think of others' salvation before your own. Forget your own salvation. This was the week of Uveldi. So it was heavy. Mm. It was heavy, you know, the mm. week of two weeks, what was it, a few weeks earlier, we'd had Buffalo, the white supremacist. Then we have Uveldi, The you know, it, there was a, a real heaviness. And so for him to, as a monastic, understand that, Right. And to be delivering messages that were very pertinent to the time and pertinent to our society and pertinent to our community made me realize how disconnected we are in mainstream wellness, where we're doing the exact opposite of that message. And so, when does our own self care almost turn on itself and become a hindrance on our own path to spiritual salvation and liberation, and then a hindrance to collective liberation?
0: Okay. So explain that. Let's go back to that. That's really interesting because what's coming up for me is this idea of, yes, when it's so self-focused, you know, the wellness industry and what we do is all about the self me, 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 but then there is a piece of this awareness that must happen, right? This self-reflection piece that is so important in yoga philosophy of understanding what is going on with me, And how is that being reflected into the world? How is that preventing me from helping with the liberation of others? Right. And so let's go back to that a little bit and let's unpack that a little bit, because I think this is really important. You know, when you're talking about a social justice mindset, it is about others for sure, but it has to be about self also in relation to others. And I think this is where a lot of people get confused because they tend to then become siloed in saying, well, I need to take care of myself. You know, I have to take care of myself. And that, that becomes a very different conversation than, yes, take care of self in relation to others.
1: Right. And I think let's even, for the wellness community, I think they're probably quite familiar with the Yamas and the Niyamas. We see this. So let's even begin with Ahimsa. Not non-violence non-harming is actually the direct translation so how can we practice ahimsa which we see talked about all the time to interrupt harm is a practice of ahimsa how are we as individuals interrupting harm within of course our own hearts our own minds our own thoughts but then in the world around us in our communities in our society in our country in the world satya truth are we speaking the truth because Again, let's just bring it back to the wellness community. Over the past two years, we have seen more harm come from yoga and wellness spaces than in many, many, many other places. Anti-black lives, anti-science, the pandemic isn't real. Mm -hmm. The election was stolen. We had yoga folks involved in the January 6th insurrection. Mm -hmm. How are you even practicing the first two Yamas? Then. Like you mentioned, self-studies, fadhyaya, one of our niyamas. How are we doing that? And that to me is, again, the disconnect. Because if we are to really become the sakshi, the Sanskrit word for that impartial observer, the witness, the observer of the mind, we're going to see a lot of things that we don't like. Yeah. Right? Oh, for, oh, <laughs> I for sure. Not, I, mean, I feel every day I'm noticing things I don't, I don't like. I'm like, wow, shouldn't I not be having those thoughts? But the point is, as practicing the sachi through our practice of yoga, meditation, mindfulness, we have to befriend ourselves on this journey in life and we have to understand that when we can turn the mirror on ourselves but do it through the lens of non-judgment self-love and self-compassion we can begin to get to the root cause of our own suffering because so much of what's being played out in mainstream wellness spaces are people's own trauma brought into the main fold are people's own implicit bias racism whatever it might be that they're just spewing to others around them and so to me, it's almost just like, well, this isn't working. These are people that have been practicing yoga. And I say yoga in inverted commas for years. Yet then if you've really been practicing for years, as I know, I am told all the time by that I've been do- teaching yoga for 10 years, I've been practicing yoga for 20 years. Um, why aren't you, why aren't you having that deep awakening then given the time that we are in where we have a deep awakening about. The pain of so many in the, forget the world in the United States of America alone. And so the question that I pose is, how can we turn a blind eye to the suffering of others? Because some very popular slogans, I'm sure you've heard them, we are all one. Well, yeah, you know that's a fundamental principle of yogurt philosophy. But if we are all one, and so many of us are living in dire suffering, why aren't we doing anything about that if we really believed? That we are all one. We would understand that when one of us suffers, we all suffer. Mm -hmm. And then that empty slogan, I'm going to send love and light. I mean, (laughs) thoughts and prayers aren't enough. They're just not. I pray twice a day. And it's funny because as soon as you start saying things, everyone's like, oh, my God, she's anti-pray. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. My son in our spiritual practice has meditation, has mantra, has mudra, has pranayama, has prayer. I pray twice a day. But I understand Abundi, that just praying isn't going to solve all the, the problems in the world. I mean, I'm going to continue to pray every day, twice a day, but what can I do beyond thoughts and prayers? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. What's the action that we're taking? Yeah. And it's the action in the world, but it's also, the, I think, getting back to this idea of the action that we're taking within ourselves, because that is the hardest to do, right? You can go out and, and march in the streets against every, and protest every single thing in the world. And if you don't sit with your shit, it doesn't matter what you're doing out there, right? That's really what it comes down to. I think that's what I'm trying to get at is that, you know, this self-awareness is the hardest thing to do because you have to start there. Now, again, it's not to be confused with this idea of I'm just going to take care of myself and I'm going to sit here and do all these wellness practices for myself. That's not the point, right? It's not to be confused, but I think it does get confused quite a bit. So, you know, if I, as an Ayurvedic practitioner, I'm saying to somebody, you know, we really need to talk about self-awareness and really self-study and swadhyaya and talking and thinking about what is the state of my relationships with other people, let's say, for example. That's not to say that I just want you to just you know sit there and think about all the bad things that maybe you've done and how what somebody else has reacted to you and things like that. It's taking it one step further of what you said before is how can I interrupt the harm? It's not just not doing harm. It's the interruption of harm, right? That's really hard to do.
1: Yeah, and, and I think part of the problem as well is the silence, Right. You know, if we are silent in the face of harm, of abuse, of whatever it might be, we're complicit to that. And so, you know, to me, you know, we can be neutral. We can agree to disagree on many different things, but we can't really agree to disagree when it comes to white supremacy and racism because we see where that has got us for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so the other aspect of that as well, and this is where I think Adopting that decolonial mindset is pivotal because people assume that we shouldn't judge. We should actually, there's a lot that we should judge, but we can we can engage in judgment from a perspective of neutrality in the sense of, wow, you know, the enslavement of people, yeah, let's judge that, let's do something about it. Segregation, colonization, let's judge it. Not from a, I'm just gonna be an immensely judgmental person, but if we didn't judge those things, they would probably still be occurring. And I think that's where we're in in wellness. We've just gone down this rabbit hole of, oh, we have to be positive all the time. So we're feeding into toxic positivity. There's a spiritual bypassing where, you know, you can't talk, you know, in this yoga studio, we don't talk about the X, Y, Z. What are you talking about then?
0: Right, right. And so, you know, that's a really interesting point that you brought up because this idea of not having judgment becomes synonymous with not having an opinion. And so there are two different things. You should have an opinion about things. You should be enraged by certain things that are going on in the world. And you should be able to speak out about that. And I shouldn't say should. I think that I would choose to, to speak out on these things that I have an opinion about. And again, it's that semantics is the difference between a judgmental person and having a judgment of something. I think it's exactly. such an important point that you've brought up.
1: And I will also say this: that the judgment piece just blows my mind. So does the anger. Mm-hmm. Oh, when it, get angry, right. you know, for the love of God, get angry. And I'll, I'll just share this anecdote: I was leading a metastatic breast cancer group for HOAG last year, and there was so much going on, right? And I was like, you know, I'm angry all the time, and they all burst out laughing because they've never heard a meditation teacher practitioner say that they're angry because everybody's pretending that they're not. Listen. Let's reframe anger. It's okay to be angry. There's a lot that we should be angry about. What are we doing with that anger? How are we channeling that anger? How are we using the foundations of the philosophy of yoga, the ethics of yoga, to channel our anger into right action? That's a great use of tapas, right? Burning away the impurities, right action, all of those things. You know, Doing tapas in chair pose, utkatasana, how often have we heard that in an asana class? Or oh, get into utkatasana, chair pose, we're using tapas. I mean, okay, I mean, that's a stretch for me, right? But you, that, to me, if we're really thinking about tapas, how are we burning away our own impurities of our minds and in, in our own stereotypes, implicit bias, subconscious bias, unconscious bias, conscious bias... To then dismantle our own inhibitions, you know, our own issues to then honestly be of service to humanity. Right. And so
0: how do we apply a social justice mindset to ourselves to start with ourselves? Right. And what I was thinking about is, you know, I think that so many people don't advocate for others because they don't even know how to advocate for themselves like let's start there and it's sort of what you were getting at before is that so many people are coming to these yoga spaces and they are in so much suffering themselves how do you even start to help with someone else's suffering right
1: and i this, I think this is a very misunderstood point suffering we wouldn't be here quite frankly you know in many ways if we aren't so to us if we think about the philosophy of yoga we think about karma we think about reincarnation as detailed in multiple scriptures mm-hmm we will be in suffering because we're living in Maya, right? The illusion of the world until we take our last breath. So I could, I mean, listen, I'm going to be living in my own delusion until right. I die. <laughs> All I can do is try to dismantle my avidya, ignorance, first of the five kleshas, mental afflictions of the mind, focus on the asmita, the egoism, second klesha, mental affliction of the mind to the best of my ability each day. Because if I'm waiting to be the perfect person, that is not having any suffering, that isn't ever having a negative thought, that has done all the work, I'll be dead before that day arrives. And so I think the practice, if we're doing the practice daily, that, that sadhana, that deep spiritual practice, it will give us the strength, it will give us the courage, it will give us the resilience to go out into the world and live and embody the practice of yoga in our daily lives. And and be living imperfectly, because that's part of what well, part of the issue as well is this focus on perfectionism. We are imperfect. And yes, the Atman is perfect, right? But the physical body is imperfect. Us as a manifestation of you know Avanthi and Asha, I'm perfect. So I think sometimes there's that disconnect there too, with that understanding. And again, honestly, it comes down to a lack of understanding of what the philosophy of yoga actually entails, because if we understood it, we would be much better able to practice it.
0: Mm -hmm. And so how does somebody really get there to start understanding? Because it's one thing for us as teachers, right? Or those of us who want to become yoga teachers to go through a training and really pick one. And I have this conversation probably daily with people you know, emailing me or DMing me on Instagram, asking, you know, how do I sort through all the teacher trainings and how do I know who to go to train? So let's put that aside. But let's talk about a student, right? Who really wants to learn. Where do they start?
1: I think the wonderful thing about the past few years and the pandemic is that everything has gone online now. And so before, let's be honest, we didn't have access To a variety of teachers, we didn't have access to a diversity of voices, we didn't have access to South Asian and BIPOC teachers, and now we do. And so to me, it's a first step to, especially the dominant culture, when it comes to yoga, to learn from South Asian teachers. And I think that will and listen, we're all different. We're coming from a d- very diverse diaspora. Of course, but that's a great first step. And to learn from a multitude of different voices of, of South Asians, to learn from black, indigenous and people of color. Very often their voices haven't been amplified. Their teachings haven't been amplified. And I make a point on my Instagram, as you know, of sharing different resources, of sharing different places where people can practice. And I think that it's really important. And now we can't say, oh, I didn't know or I don't have access, because if you've got a computer and you've got the Internet, you can have access. And I think that's a really important point to make, that we don't have that excuse to hide behind anymore.
0: Sure. I think that you make a good point, is that there are a lot of resources available, and I think you just have to start searching for it. I will make sure that we link some of those resources in the show notes and I'll make sure that I get some of those from Anusha because she's probably much better versed in those resources than I am even because she's super connected to all of those teachers. So I'll make sure that those resources are listed in the The show notes for all of you as well if that would be okay with you i would love to
1: yeah (laughs) and and there are so many there are so many there's dr sham ranganathan who is a philosophy professor he and i are actually doing a training coming up yoga origins lineages and cultural appropriation he's a wealth of resource his He's a scholar as well. And so I think that's really important. There's the Yoga is Dead podcast by Tejal and Jessel. It's a fantastic podcast, kind of really tackling a lot of these issues that we talk about. There's Susanna Barkataki. She runs a teacher training specifically focused on platforming South Asians and and communities of color. There is uh, Sangeeta Valaben, who is a dear friend of mine as well, who focuses on teaching that trauma-informed perspective with a justice lens. Another one of my very good friends, Diane Bondi, is a black uh, yoga teacher that focuses on body positivity. Uh, she talks about fat shaming, toxic diet culture, uh, justice, equity, all of those things. So I have a long list Amazing. Of that I would love to share.
0: Yes. Amazing. Whatever we can do to amplify those voices, I think is so, so important. And so, you know, I really want to ask you this and we may have gotten into it, but I think it would be helpful for the listeners to, to really sort of click into this is that how would you say that a social justice mindset is medicine for your own healing and for the healing of others?
1: That's exactly it that i mean you've got, you've actually answered it when we can tap into collective suffering we can tap into collective well-being and that is the balm that we so desperately need in the time that we are in because if our focus is purely on ourselves in this time and i think that's what people are forgetting look at the time we are in we're living in a time of delusion of ego of deep deep ignorance And in in that time, if we are still choosing to purely focus on ourselves only, there's a disconnection from others, a disconnection from the world around us. And ultimately we are interconnected. So whether you're aware of it or not, the suffering of others is impacting you, consciously or unconsciously. And so the more that you can awaken to understanding that your liberation is intimately connected to the liberation of others, and the more that you can do whatever works best for you, you know, everybody has a different calling in life. For some people, you know, it might be anti racism work. For others, it might be animal welfare. For others, it might be environmental justice. For others, it might be working in cancer care. For others, it might be addressing health disparities and inequities. Whatever it might be, right? Find something that you're passionate about and give back to the collective. Because if everybody was doing something and it's gonna look different. To me, it's, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Maybe you're marching, maybe you're signing petitions, maybe you're calling your senators, maybe you're donating. There are so many BIPOC organizations that desperately need uh, our support in terms of monetary donation. So they can divest from systems of white supremacy. They can divest from white-led organizations helping of, uh, communities of color, which we know has deep impacts. Su- we can all be doing something. Perhaps it's having conversation with friends and family around interrupting harm in our workplace, etc. We can all be doing something and that's gonna look different to each of us. And there isn't a right and a wrong. It's not like, oh, well, you know, you should do this or you should do that. I don't prescribe to that. I just think do what makes you feel a sense of joy that ignites your flame. Quite frankly, the flame of humanity because if we can give back to the collective we're giving back to ourselves and i think that's what people don't realize and what is really sad about the time that we are in, you know wellness is a trillion dollar industry yep <laughs> but what are we giving back you know what are we giving back are we just taking are we are we continuing that extractivism or are we giving back you know and of course being a person of color i'm always going to focus on Communities of color with my work, but they're the ones that have been so marginalized, even from wellness, from health. And so Mm -hmm. there's so much that. And and what I will say is this: never feed into hopelessness, because to me, our practice—if we're really practicing yoga, meditation, mindfulness—it gives us hope. And to live with hope, to feed into joy, is a bomb. You know, for ourselves in this time, and can be so healing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that what you said about, you know, doing something, whatever brings you joy that sparks that sort of feeling within you that you're doing something for humanity is so important. And at the same time, I also think that it's so important to also look inside at the biases, the things that are keeping you from actually stepping up or from interrupting harm? Because again, it's one thing to go out and march in the streets, but are you going to interrupt the harm when it's happening too? I think that that's such an important point to make. And, and I really appreciate that you, you brought that up a few times. And so I just want to click into that again. And so I just have one last question for you because I feel like we've talked about so much about you know having this social justice mindset. If I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, What comes up for you?
1: Collective liberation. And if each of us can be a catalyst in creating change within our own communities, because to me, it has to be community led. It has to be community driven. Uh, The top down approach often just doesn't work. It has to be bottom up. So how can each of us be that catalyst for change? Like you said, you know, first within our own hearts, within our own minds. So always doing the practice with ourselves first and then in turn, bringing that practice to every interaction that we're having in our day. And again, imperfectly, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're not looking for perfection. We're not going to achieve that. This is yoga. Isn't about perfection. It's about leaning into those areas of discomfort so that we can create lasting change.
0: Yes. Anusha, thank you so much. This has been a beautiful conversation and so thought-provoking. And I appreciate all that you're doing and the amazing work that you're doing in the world. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for just being an amazing light in this world and having these conversations. And it's such a joy to share space with a South Asian sister in wellness and yoga and Ayurveda. And it has been my honor. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you, we'll do it again for sure. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, Please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to AvantiKumarSingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at AvantiKumarSingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.